At this time, we're going to be looking at God's word together. So please turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus 34. All right, Exodus 34. So on Christmas Eve, we looked at the beginning of Exodus 34, the first nine verses. And we looked at um, these verses, which are several of the most important verses in the Bible. Um, and these verses uh, contained God's self-disclosure about himself. And these verses are central, not only to the book of Exodus, but also to our understanding of who God is. God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness. If you weren't here for that sermon, I would really encourage you to go and listen to it again. Uh, it, it's very central to what we have been studying in this book of Exodus. And in that passage, after God had given us this beautiful self-disclosure, Moses responds to God with a plea for the people of God. And so verses 8 and 9 say this, And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Now as we approach this text before us, we're also approaching the end of the book of Exodus. Over the next three weeks, this week included, we're going to consider the remaining six chapters of this book. And as we consider this text before us, in light of Moses' plea in verses 8 and 9, what we have here should be deeply encouraging to our souls. Today's sermon is all about God's grace, which is exactly what we need as we start this calendar year together. So let's begin by reading Exodus 34, verse 10, all the way to Exodus 35, verse 29. And God said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month Abib. For in the month Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine. 
all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your males appear before the Lord, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in a year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the sacrifice of the feast of Passover remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets and the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tents and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, 
the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stands, the hanging of the courts, its pillars and its bases and the screens for the gate of the courts, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense." All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering of the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, in the midst of all of this detail and everything that you say and command in this passage, there is behind it a heart that we need to see this morning. A heart of God who gives these commandments and, and, and speaks these words. Father, I pray that you would help us to see and understand this passage and to know you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Every year, thousands of people throughout America start their year with new attempts at physical health. As January begins, it seems half the country is trying something new in this area. Maybe this year it's the Whole30 diet. Maybe it's going vegan. Maybe this year you just need to drink more water. Or maybe this year we need to sleep more or exercise more. Any uh, number of things. Now the funny thing is that most of these things work. At least for a little while. Most of these new diets and regiments are popular because they have some level of success. And so, in January and February, the American population probably looks healthier and stronger than any other time of year. The gyms are full. We drop a few pounds. Our face looks brighter and healthier. We make these covenants with ourselves. 
we commit to being different. We pursue these changes and it works for a little while. But then sadly, more times than not, by the middle of February or March, things begin to decline and we're left looking like our old selves again and left looking for the next best thing to do. Is anyone else familiar with this pattern in their lives? Well, it can also be true for our souls as well, can't it? We're always looking for something new to strengthen us emotionally and spiritually. Maybe we need to meditate more. Maybe we need a new Bible reading plan. That's one of my personal commitments for this year. Not many workout commitments yet, but we'll see. <laughs> Maybe we need a new therapist or we need to adjust our meds. And all these things will probably work for us for a little while, but they almost never last. Why? Because they're not God's ultimate and good design for our souls. Taken by themselves, they all represent attempts for us to address externally the things that we feel that we're lacking. And they may have some value, but by themselves, they will not ultimately provide what our souls need. No. God has given us something far greater than our own plans and strategies to strengthen our souls this calendar year. He has given us something that lasts much longer than January and February. He has given us something that will last much longer than our own strength, our own strategies could ever last. He has given us his covenant of grace, his mercy and grace and love. And in this glorious covenant, he has given us something that will endure throughout the year and throughout our entire lives. Something that no matter how we are feeling physically can cause us to shine brightly in every season and circumstance of life. He has given us his covenant of grace. And so as we look at this passage this morning, the main idea that we're going to consider is this. God's grace shines brightly despite our sin. God's grace shines brightly despite our sin. And we're going to look at it uh, by looking at three things we see about God's covenant of grace in this passage. The first thing we're going to see is grace brings an enduring commitment. Second, grace shines with a transforming presence. And lastly, grace produces worshipful obedience. So let's look at the first thing now that we see about God's covenant of grace. Looking at point one, grace brings an enduring commitment. When we read the passage just a few moments ago, a lot of it might have seemed redundant to you. If you remember, chapters 20 through 31, God gave very detailed instructions about the covenant he was establishing with Israel and also very detailed instructions about the tabernacle he wanted them to build. We've already studied this together for numerous weeks. So when we get here and we see God go back into some of the details of the covenant and later in the passage of the tabernacle, we might think God or the writer of Exodus could have really used an editor here. It might be much simpler for our Bible reading plans if God could have just summarized all of this. 
He could have just given us all the instructions in chapter 20 through 30, and then after chapter 34 just said, and they went and did what God said, right? Because of the repetition here, it might be easy for us to glaze over these final chapters and only see them as redundant. So the question is, why did God have these chapters written in this way? And friends, we as pastors here at Redeemer believe that every word of God is intentional by God. God made sure for these last chapters of Exodus to be crafted for us with intentionality. And the reality is that when we consider the context of this section before us, we actually learn something striking about God's grace towards us. Here's why. Remember that these words God is speaking to Moses are being spoken to him as he stands before the Lord on the mountain. Why is Moses on the mountain here in the first place? Because while Moses had been on the mountain with God the last time, Israel had committed grievous sin against God by creating a golden calf and holding a celebration and worshiping it as though it was God. This was laid out for us in the first six uh, verses of Exodus 32. So I want to look at a few of those verses briefly. It says, So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to drink and rose up to play. Remember that in response to Israel's sin, Moses goes back up to the mountain to plead with God on behalf of the people. And God reveals himself to Moses by declaring it's his name. And it's here at the beginning of the passage before us that God responds to Moses' plea for the people of Israel. And how does he respond? He responds with incredible grace. Look at verse 10 again with me. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the peoples among you, whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Friends, do you see how God responds to the people's sin? He restates his covenant with them after they had just fallen he doesn't respond to their sin by giving up on them, but by reminding them of his commitment to them. He responds to them with grace. And friends, this should absolutely blow us away. There is nothing Israel has done to deserve this treatment. But in the mystery of God's grace, God has chosen to covenant with them despite their sin. In response to their sin, he tells them that he will work marvels among them. That he will drive out their enemies before them. That he will do good to them and protect them. This grace is completely undeserved. 
But we need to notice as well that this grace does not overlook the need for obedience. So after restating his commitment to them, he reminds them of his covenant commands to them. And the covenant commands that God reminds them of are ones that are specifically related to how they had just failed. So in verses 12 through 16, God reminds them of the exclusive relationship he has with them. He warns them not to make covenants with the people surrounding them and not to worship their gods, but rather to destroy the idols and false gods of the lands they go into. This specifically addresses how their worshiping of the golden calf included a commingling of idolatry with godly worship. These commandments make it clear they are to worship God alone. Verse 17 explicitly tells them not to make any gods of cast metal, addressing the creation of the golden calf. Verses 18 through 26 remind them of the festivals and offerings and the Sabbath that God himself prescribed for the people of Israel as worship to God. This very directly address this feast to the Lord and the offerings that they made to the golden calf instead of to God. All of this is laid out very succinctly for us by Philip Riken when he says this. The Israelites had just committed the great sin of the golden calf. They were guilty of worshiping other gods. Yet, in his wonderful mercy and grace, God had forgiven their sin. And now he was giving them a fresh opportunity to live for his glory. What does this all mean for us? Two thoughts for us to consider this morning. First, a question. How do you regard the heart of the Lord when he lays out his reminders to you of obedience? Do you receive these reminders as though he is just a nagging parent who won't start, stop harping on the same issues in your life that you've struggled with over and over again? Or do you receive these as demands from a stern parent who is going to withhold affection towards you until you follow every letter of what they require of you. Or friends, rather, do we see this rightly and truly as needed and gracious reminders from the Lord whose heart and desire are for you to be in loving relationship with him. Second, I think these verses are a loving reminder for us that God's commitment to his people does not change even when they fall. And so, Christian, have you sinned? Are you aware of the ways that you have fallen down? Do you see a great distance between who God is calling you to be and who you are this morning? If that is you, God's word here would remind you that his disposition towards you has not changed. He has not moved away. In Christ, you can turn to him and find mercy and grace. Friends, this is an invitation for you this morning to live for God today, to return to walking in relationship with him. Stepping back, 
we see God's words and actions here make it clear. To be right with God, it cannot be based on our ability to keep his commandments. It must be based on a commitment from God that endures beyond our sin. And in God's mercy and grace, he has chosen to covenant with his people in this way. And now let's turn and look at the second part of this this section where we'll see grace shines with a transforming presence. Now, before we look at the next part of the text, we need to ask the question, where does transforming power come from? See, when we make New Year's resolutions, there's a few different places that we tend to look to for change in our lives. Sometimes we look to change our habits, sometimes a change in our mindset, sometimes we look for a different set of principles or a different moral code for change. But as we look at this next section of the text, we see a presence that was able to supernaturally change the appearance of Moses. Look at verse 29. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. This is now the second time that Moses has come down from the mountain with the tablets of testimony in his hand, but this time we see that his physical appearance was changed because of being in the presence of God. So much so that the people, when they see him, are terrified of him. Look at verse 30. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. But Moses calls to Aaron and the people, and he delivers the commandments of the Lord to them. And after delivering these commandments, he puts on a veil to cover his shining face. And the rest of this passage, we see the rest of uh, chapter 34, it shows us that this pattern repeated itself. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord, this is verse 34 and 35, to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Three things that we need to notice here about the shining face of Moses in this text. First, the source of his shining face was being in the presence of the glory of God. It was a reflection of God's glory being produced as Moses was in God's presence. And one of the things that this should cause us to realize about God's glory is just how truly, awesomely terrifying it can be. His glory is no small thing. A glimpse of it here is able to bring fear and awe upon those who see it. The second thing that we need to see here is that Moses' shining face highlighted for the people of Israel his unique role as the mediator between the people and the Lord. The Israelites were unable to directly approach God and receive his commands. They needed a mediator. They needed someone to stand 
before God on their behalf and to deliver God's message to them on God's behalf. Remember that this is why Moses went to the mountain in the first place, to mediate between God and Israel and intercede on their behalf after they sinned against him. They cannot approach God directly in their sin. They must have a mediator. It's as though Moses' shining face was a reminder for them. We can't have this relationship with God without this mediator who stands before us. And the third thing we need to notice is this. God is able to shine his transforming glory even through sinners. Moses may have been a mediator, but he was an imperfect one. He was a sinner like us, beset with weaknesses like we are. And though his face could shine when he looked upon the glory of God, he was unable to cause others to shine with the same glory. God could cause Moses' face to shine, but Moses could not make others' face to shine. His role as a mediator was imperfect and it was temporary. But friends, I have good news for you this morning. God has provided for us a permanent mediator that is able to transform all of those who are in relationship with him. In Jesus Christ, we have a mediator able to transform his people through the very spirit of God. Look at how Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 18. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 11, says, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more what is per will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Amen. Now I can't unpack all of these verses today, but what I want you to see in these verses as it relates to this text is about what Christ can do for those who look to him. In this covenant of grace with Christ as the mediator, he is able by the very spirit of God to transform those who look to him by the glory of God. 
Christ delivers transforming power of the Spirit to those who look to him as the mediator. So here's my question for you this morning, friend. Are you looking to the right place for change? My friend, the change that you need today is more than a clean slate. You need more than a new perspective. You need more than different friends. You need more than a new diet. You need more than different circumstances. You need a changed heart. And that is something that comes through relationship with the God of the Bible. The God who has covenanted with us. And that relationship only comes through God's mediator, Jesus Christ. The one who stood on the Mount of Transfiguration, shining with the glory of God. Standing between Moses and Elijah with the voice of the Lord crying out this in Matthew 17. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Friends, we need to look to God's mediator this morning for the transformation that we need. Now the last part of this text it gives us an incredible picture of what can happen when our hearts are affected by grace. So let's look at that together. Grace produces worshipful obedience. The section here that we're looking at in chapter 35 highlights the commencement of the tabernacle work. And we see in Exodus 35, verse 1, Moses gathers all the people of Israel to deliver the commandments of the Lord to them. And he highlights three things in these commandments. The keeping of Sabbath rest, the contributions of the temple, and the call for skilled laborers to build all the elements of the tabernacle as God had described. As we consider these verses, though, it's impossible to read them without seeing one thing highlighted above everything else. The obedience of the Israelites from the overflow of their heart. Consider how God commands the contributions to be brought in verse 5. He says, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And then in verses 21 through 29, we see repeated over and over again that the Israelites respond to these commands with obedience and generosity. Look at all the times that the disposition of the Israelites' heart is mentioned in these verses. Verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred them and everyone whose spirit moved him. And brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Exodus 35:22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Verse 26. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun goat's hair. And I have to say that we've got many ladies here that knit and sew and crochet. And I admit I'm only vaguely aware of the difference. Uh, but 
when I read this, I thought of you and the way that you serve our church through that skill. So thank you. All of this, this whole section is summarized for us here in verse 29. It says, all the men and women, the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. These verses give us a picture of the people of Israel coming together and freely giving their wealth and their skills as an offering of obedience to the Lord out of a heart of worship. What an incredible picture for us. It's a picture of transformation. Because remember what we saw in Exodus 32? We saw them take their wealth and give up their gold to make an idol and worship that idol. But now here we see them giving generously and freely to worship the true God. Friends, this is a picture for us of what God's grace produces in us. Obedience that is freely offered as worship. God wants his people to give and serve and obey, not out of compulsion, but out of a heart of worship and awareness of his abundant generosity and grace towards us. Not obedience out of guilt or for the sake of garnering favor from God, but as a joyful response to the favor we have already received. And there's something really important to notice here. That they gave from the Lord out of the resources and skills that they had as an offering of worship. The thing that's highlighted here of these men and women is not a matter of how much, but a matter of their hearts when they did it. This is the kind of generosity and service that pleases God, born out of a heart of worship to God. Look at what Matthew Henry says about this. God has an eye to the heart of the giver more than to the value of the gifts. Oh, my friends, this is a vision of service and generosity to God that is full of grace for every season. Because it is not about how much or how little we have to offer, but rather a matter of a heart changed by the grace we have already received It's a heart that is stirred to offer back to God what we have received from God as an act of worship. What do we see here? We see that grace compels us to worship God in places where he has us with the gifts that he has given us. Let me put it another way. What God has done for us ought to produce in us Hearts that worshipfully obey. In this heart that frees us to give whatever we have, wherever we are. I believe that the heart of God for us in this is that we would have ambition to see the very places that we are now as the places that God can use us to point others to him. We can do this even as we care for our children at home or love our neighbors or serve our co-workers in the workplace or even as we receive care from others in the hospital bed. And so, church family, as we come into this new year, 
Let us pursue all that God is calling us to with this in the forefront of our minds. Let us remember this incredible covenant of grace and listen to God's loving words of guidance to us. Let us rely on God's mediator and delight in our relationship with him. And let us allow his grace to produce in us worshipful obedience this year and for many years to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me?